Yankees Files podcast. We are back. I'm Will Harris. You're Alec Whipple. And we are without my dad on this episode, much to the chagrin of many of our listeners, I'm sure. But you've got the original two back here to preview the trade deadline, react to a week in which the Yankees finally won their first series in July, and maybe things started to turn around. Anthony Rizzo is hitting kind of at least the other day he was hitting. DJ LeMay, he was hitting. Giancarlo Stanton is hitting. Glaber Torres is having a phenomenal month. Aaron Judge took live batting practice. Jake Bowers, who was going to carry this offense for some time over the rest of the year, is back. Whipple, I don't know about you, and I've been accused of being a shill and an apologist and overly optimistic and all this stuff, but I find it hard not to be feeling pretty good and I know what people are going to say. It was just the Royals. You can't get all that excited about a series against the Royals. The Royals are terrible. They're not even trying to win games. It's not about the results of the games. It's about the way that guys who need to play well played. And that is why I'm excited. How are you feeling? Yeah, I think to some extent it is about the results of the games because when guys play well that are supposed to play well, that usually leads to wins. And we well, that's definitely yeah, true. absolutely. Like we saw. I, I mean, if they, you know, if the Yankees had lost a number of these games, I'm guessing it would be for the reasons that they were losing a number of the games in the previous weeks. The guys that were supposed to be playing well weren't playing well, and. It's very easy to see what happened last weekend. Like you saw who was driving in the runs. You saw who had good games and you saw what ended up happening. I mean, the formula for success for the Yankees is pretty simple. And I am, I kind of laugh sometimes at some of the takes that go around with the Yankees beating the Royals. I, I, one, one person that I saw was um, complaining that the Yankees weren't winning the games fast enough, which I think it's, that's always a good one right I, I I think I would you know if you're gonna beat bad teams you're gonna lose to bad teams I'll, I'll hear any argument about the quality of the team but my god if you win the game you win the game it doesn't matter if you do it in the first or the eighth so I think people are just looking for reasons to poke holes in the team and there are certainly still reasons three games against the Royals people are correct does not solve everything but it, it stops the bleeding. It gives you a lot to feel good about coming into a stretch where there's going to need to be some wins on the board, you know, at the end of the next two and a half weeks for the Yankees to, again, be where they want to be. Um, they're going to be playing some good teams and they're going to need to win those games. And the Royal Series is not going to solve the season, but it gets you want to get you back to where you were pre-Angels Series, which is a team that is struggling and kind of up and down as opposed to where we were in the middle of last week, which I think was more of a, a red alert situation where things looked like it really could go downhill very quickly. And two, it just, again, builds some confidence. You you see guys playing well. There are good vibes and you're going to be heading into some important weeks of baseball. And I'd rather be doing that off of beating the Royals three times versus not beating the Royals three times. I mean, sometimes it is like that simple. Like it doesn't matter if the teams are good or bad, but you got to win the games. And I think, like you said, more importantly, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Um, But I think most importantly, the reasons to be optimistic are for the right guys. Like I, I love, you know, watching Harrison Bader or IKF go on a hot streak, but this team is going to succeed on the backs of Stanton, Rizzo, LeMahieu, Torres, Judge, those are the guys that I would rather 
have the hot streaks. And, and that, hopefully, fingers crossed, is what started to happen this weekend. Yeah. Uh, do you think if you're having fun, it's fun is kind of the the predecessor to if you win the game, you win the game or whatever it win was you just said? <laughs> if you're, yeah, if you win the game, like you win the game, you're having a good time, it's if fun. If you're having fun, um, it's fun. Shout out. Shout out friend of the pod, but we don't talk to him anymore, Cole Thompson. But also another thing, people are complaining that the Yankees posted a hype video celebrating beating the Royals three times. And to that, I say, you know what? Like that they won. They won games. They're having a good time. Social media accounts need to post stuff. If that's where you're going to complain, then I think it's going to be quite a while before you're actually happy because like let's we're maybe we're shills at times, but. I think last week's episode showed that we will criticize the Yankees when it's warranted. And I think if we had recorded on Thursday, we would have engaged in some pretty heavy criticism. And certainly As some my elements dad and of that I are did. still there. As your dad and you did. But elements of that are still there for sure. But this weekend helped because you saw some answers to some questions. I mean, like that that happened. People Just because it's the Royals doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. I think that... There's been kind of an epidemic on Yankees social media, and I won't call out a certain media company that may or may not now be a little bit affiliated with the Yes Network that has two very prominent personalities in the Yankees Twitter space that has decided that they're just going to be mad about everything. I will not say that that company even exists or that those people even exist, but there's become this phenomenon in which people decide that they will police what you're allowed to or not allowed to be happy about like down to certain people saying that Andy Pettit's hiring to be you know some sort of like pseudo coach or special advisor wait a, wait a minute a wait a minute Andy Pettit make people Andy Pettit, Andy Pettit, is, Pettit a starting is a starting pitcher is a starting pitcher I'm sorry I <laughs> he's had won to. almost 200 games <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, it's ridiculous. It's it's insane. So you know what? If you sweep a team, I think you get to celebrate that because those three wins count just as much as any other three wins, even if you're expected to get them. And the Yankees did exactly what they were supposed to do against the Royals. They hit home runs. They didn't allow a bunch of runs. There's probably a conversation to be had about Ron Marinaccio here. And... They won those games, and you can't take that away from them. And frankly, I understand that this isn't what happened, but if they had gone one and two against the Angels and two and one against the Royals, it would have been the same record. But I feel like people would have been talking about it differently. I don't know. I just feel pretty good coming off a sweep. I like having Jake Bowers back. I like that DJ and Stanton are on hot streaks. I like that Rizzo just broke his home run drought and had a four-hit game. I like that signs are positive with Aaron Judge. I think that things are coming together for this team in the right way at the right time. And, of course, that time is coinciding with the time when you get to augment your roster at the trade deadline. So I think it would be a good time for us to start to dive into our trade deadline priorities but also our expectations because we may not see we may not believe that the moves we'd like to see at the trade deadline are the moves that we will see and I think there's a very good chance that 
we will not prioritize some of the things that we expect the Yankees to do. So, Whipple, I think the best way we can do this is this. What is your top priority for the Yankees to add at the trade deadline, and who is your preferred name to fill that spot? Yeah, so I think the Yankees just need um, a new closer, preferably one who throws 104 miles an hour and uh, (laughs) (laughs) is, uh, you know, just sitting in a bullpen in Texas. No. Um, Thankfully, I I think the bullpen is is at least in okay shape right now and no Aroldis Chapman desperation phone calls are necessary. For me, it's the same as it's been. Um, They need an outfielder. They might need two. I I don't really feel as strongly about that as, say, you know, a few weeks ago. But I I think they need an outfielder, and I think they need a lefty bat. And I think Cody Bellinger is the guy. Like, he's playing better, and maybe that drives teams, like, away from him because they're a little more hesitant. Maybe the Cubs decide not to trade him. I don't know what the real life... I don't think there's any danger of that. I don't know what the real life circumstances will be, but for right now, I think he fits everything you'd want. I mean, sometimes the obvious answer is the correct answer, but Mm -hmm. I think between... Well, actually, you know, I was going to say between him and Jock Peterson, I think we've talked about both of them, the Giants are falling off a little bit, and I feel like Jock Peterson could be back on the table, but as for me... You know I'm a huge Jock Peterson guy. I'll clear out for you on Jock Peterson, but... I mean, Cody Bellinger with his hot streak is, you know, he's hitting over 300, OPSing over 900. Like the the batted ball data is at least trending in the right direction. And I think even beyond the um, the advanced stats, even just looking at surface level stuff, like I think that's kind of, you don't have to look that far. Like I don't want to overthink this. He's a He's got a history of success in the past. It looks like he's figured something out. It's a rental. And I think the Yankees have guys to trade who, you know, they have a trading history with the Cubs. Um, I, I think for success this year and for immediate impact and for a guy who's playing really well, that has to be Bellinger. And sometimes, again, it's not more complicated than that. Like, think about Gallo two years ago. Everybody said he was the top guy, and that's who the Yankees ended up getting. I think the trade package was probably going to be even lighter. Um, Definitely. I don't know. Like, I, I don't really want to overthink it here. Yeah, so a couple notes on Bellinger. The first is people are freaking out about his expected stats being far below his realized stats. And there are some things about Cody Bellinger's profile that I don't trust. I don't think he's a true talent 144 WRC plus hitter. Maybe there was a time when he was, but even in 2017 and 2018, he didn't get that high. It was it was not until 2019 that he eclipsed that level, and he obviously has not since. Um, but there are things to like about Cody Bellinger as well. So you look at the BABIP, maybe you think, hey, I'm not comfortable with that high a number because his highest full-season BABIP is 313. He's not hitting the ball as hard as he was anymore. It's 338 right now. Obviously, you look at his ex-WOBA, it's 60 points lower than his WOBA. You look at things like XBA, like expected slug. And what it's important to remember here is that if the Yankees trade for Cody Bellinger, Cody Bellinger will be playing in Yankee Stadium half the time. And these expected stats that account for quality of contact don't account for direction. So as Ryan Garcia, friend of the pod, loves to point out, 
Cody Bellinger pulls a lot of fly balls. And when you're a left-handed batter who pulls a lot of fly balls, you don't actually have to hit them that far to hit them over the fence at Yankee Stadium. This is kind of like an interesting corollary to the Jake Bowers situation because not only does Jake Bowers hit the ball super hard, Jake Bowers pulls fly balls. So if you want to be bullish about what Jake Bowers can produce offensively for the rest of the year, you, you kind of have a good reason to with the playing in Yankee Stadium thing. So even if they get Cody Bellinger and he's a 120 WRC plus bat or 115 WRC plus bat, that's a major upgrade over what they've been getting in left field. It is someone who still profiles better at Yankee Stadium than he does at a lot of other places if there's regression toward those expected stats. It's someone who can play good outfield defense at any position. Um, and we know the Yankees have been really kind of shuffling guys around with, okay, if we have this outfield alignment, then this guy can be in left field and certain guys play right field and certain guys don't and certain guys play center field and certain guys don't, you'll be able to stick Bellinger anywhere, which that versatility is really important. He'd be one of the best base runners on the Yankees. He'd be one of the fastest guys on the Yankees. He doesn't walk a ton, but he also strikes out very little, gets on base at a high clip. There's a lot to like about Cody Bellinger's profile, offensive, de offensively, defensively, and on the bases to make him a quality, <clears throat> excuse me, a quality target for the Yankees at the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's ninth in WRC plus, or at least was coming into today of outfielders with at least 100 plate appearances this year. So I think that's something we ought to be very excited about. Yeah, no, I think the biggest thing uh, about the outfield defense is Judge is probably, I, I would bet a lot of money, not going to be playing center field again this year. And so you're essentially Definitely. you're essentially going to be relying on Harrison Bader to stay healthy, to have a true center fielder. Or, you know, we go back to what we were seeing before in the, the realm of uh, IKF and center. And I think mm -hmm. whoever the Yankees get really needs to be able to play center because it's very easy to see a, you know, a situation where Harrison Bader gets injured. In fact, we've seen it twice already this year. So I think the Yankees are going to be really motivated um, given that we don't even know how much right field judge might be playing from the jump. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just why I think Bellinger is even more appealing. And yeah, all I mean, all the stuff that you said is, is I think a huge part of why the, he should be the top trade target. I mean, you know, I, the the average exit velocity, the barrel rate being you know below what you'd like it. Well, like one, uh, I I don't know. Like if you're gonna get somebody for two months, like I don't know how big of a factor that is. Like we we're seeing he's performing this year. He has good offensive stats. He's not striking out that much. He has good expected stats. Um, and like you said, he's gonna be able to pull the ball into Yankee Stadium right field. It doesn't bother me like. I think people get in the tendency of looking at savant pages and freaking out whenever they see any blue, but I think... And let's be yeah. clear, he doesn't need to be a 144 WRC plus hitter right. from the time the Yankees get him to the rest of the season to be a good acquisition. He needs to play good defense, run the base as well, and be like a 120 or 115 WRC plus hitter, and that would be a serious upgrade over what the Yankees have been getting from that position and from that lineup spot. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Everything we've said is, in my mind, he's the best outfielder they can get, and they've been already connected to him. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Again, this was what happened with Gallo, and they got Gallo. So it's not always a, a smokescreen with Cashman. I think there's the. I think the biggest thing in my mind, even more so than him being a lefty bat, is the ability to play multiple outfield positions. 
Absolutely. So a couple things that are on my radar. Um, I am well documented as being a Jock Peterson fan. I think that narrative writes itself. Basically, here's a guy who hits the crap out of the ball who you can stick in a corner and he's not going to play good defense. He's not going to play great defense. He's not going to play good defense, but he's going to be better than like certain other people are and he'll hit his way to productivity. He's got a 127 WRC plus this year. He walks like 15% of the time. He's got almost a 370 on base, even though he's hitting or as of today, over a 370 on base with a 247 batting average. Um, there's just a lot to like about Jock Peterson. He, frankly, a lot of the batting average being where it is too is Babbitt because he's striking out 22.1% of the time, which is basically a little bit less than league average. So if the Giants made Jock Peterson available, I think you would want to go after him for all the reasons that I've said they should have gone after him in 2021 and, uh, and, uh, 2022 as well. I think one guy who has come onto my radar who hasn't played a ton this year and is very cheap with a year and a half of control is Austin Slater. Austin Slater is not a great defender, but he's been slightly above average this year. He kind of wavers around average. The Giants have given him like two or 300 plate appearances every season since 2018. And he's like a better than replacement level guy. He has a 109 WRC plus for his career, but since 2020 in 842 plate appearances, he has a 121 WRC plus his Woba or his ex Woba this year is basically exactly his Woba from the last few years. So there's nothing super weird about his performance. I don't expect him to remain a 137 WRC plus hitter or 313 hitter or 383 on base guy. But even if he's a 270, 350, 430 guy, that's a productive player for this team and a productive player in that outfield. He hasn't played a ton of left field. And I think in places with weird outfields with weird walls, you have to be skeptical of why a guy is put in the spot with the weird wall often because those tend to be easy to play. Think about the green monster, but he has played more left than right this year. He has historically played a lot of center field where some stats think he's average and some stats think he's terrible, but he's a versatile outfielder. He's cheap. He's a year and a half of control. He's proven that he can hit over his last 800 or so plate appearances. The Giants don't seem super interested in him playing all the time. So I might make a run at him. The cost would be low. Look, is he left-handed? No. Is he fast? No. Not really. Is he a great defender? No. But He's an upgrade in a lot of ways over a lot of the guys that they've put out there. I I might take a run at him. He's not at the top of my list, but if the Yankees were to go down the list a little bit for an outfielder, I don't see why Austin Slater shouldn't be a guy that they pursue. Yeah, I think there's like two levels of outfield acquisitions. I think it's like the Cody Bellinger is like top line guys. And then there's the, we'll call him the Randall Grichik level because I think that's the name that was 
first connected that kind of in that mm-hmm. tier of like the you know he's may not be a starting outfielder but is a depth piece or can provide an impact and listen I think with the way the Yankees have hit this year like there's no there's no position in which I'm going to say any you know any upgrade isn't needed in any capacity um, and even catcher now which I think we should have that conversation with that Jose Trevino injury is kind of on the on the table but uh, I, I just don't know about the Giants like I, I it's just really tough because it seemed like they were so, really all in on you know, going, you know, winning this year and then getting swept by the Nationals is really hard to do. It hadn't been done in yeah. two years. So it will be interesting. There's a ton of guys like uh, those two that we, you know, Jock Peterson, Austin Slater, um, definitely an interesting guy that I hadn't really considered. People talk about Mike Yastrzemski. Mike Yastrzemski. On the pitching side, you could look at like an Alex Cobb, but certainly um, it, it really will be a question. Um, with the third wild card, I think a lot of teams are still in that holding pattern, but. Um, I'd love to see some of those guys b- potentially be on the table. Um, I think some. Yeah, and I think about the Marlins in a similar yeah, position. They're doing poorly. I think they have the exact same record as the Giants, but they've kind of been in free fall. Jorge Soler, another guy who is an absolutely terrible defender, but he's a double digit walk rate guy. He has the strikeout reputation, but that's from like 2015 and 2016. He's basically a league average strikeout guy now. He's got a WRC plus around 130. He has crazy power. I know people aren't going to be excited about a right-handed batter who isn't super fast and um, doesn't play super high quality defense, but when I think about just being able to add slug to this team, which is Jorge Soler's whole game, I can't help but get excited about it. Yeah. No. Brent Rooker mm-hmm. is in the same boat, but those are certainly a tier down from Cody Bellinger. And obviously I don't think we even have to mention the, the white whale, the greatest possible outfield acquisition the Yankees could make is Juan Soto. But I'm on the record saying, I don't think Juan Soto is even getting moved and um, we've seen the Yankees fail to trade for him or really not even, as far as we know, make a competitive run at trading for him once. I would be surprised if you think they're going to land him this time. Yeah, I, I don't think so. With the way the Padres operate, it doesn't even seem like they're going to be trading Blake Snell or Josh Hader mm-hmm. just based on reports. So I, I would be shocked. I think it would be pretty bad to trade him for a lot less than you got him for and I think that would almost inevitably mm. happen um because they got him for a lot like a really really big haul and you're probably not going to get any team even coming close I mean maybe you will I don't know the the thing with the trade deadlines you just I feel like there's always unexpected things that come out of the woodwork um but speaking of Juan Soto's former team I think there's some nationals that definitely are worth having a discussion about. Um, speaking of the outfield, I think Lane Thomas is kind of the top guy. And I don't know. I'm, I'm more mixed on him. I, I want to get your take because I think on one hand, he does have the power. He's got a power speed component that the Yankees definitely could benefit from. 16 home runs and 12 stolen bases. I, he's having a career year, and I don't know if it makes sense to – bet on him to continue when some of the there's some red flags underneath that he's striking out more and walking less than he has before he's not hitting the ball especially hard uh, nothing really is like pops off the page besides the surface level you know 
batting 294. Yeah, so, is, so I'm just curious what your thoughts are. This is one of those are. places. This is one of those places in which I think the Fangraphs depth charts, rest of season projections can be instructive or helpful. So coming into today, Thomas's line 295, 341, 494. Fangraphs thinks that over the rest of the course of the year, it's going to be 256, 320, 437. So there's definitely the caveat with all of these is when you change the ballpark you're playing and you change your projections. But Lane Thomas, it would be surprising if Lane Thomas was more like the hitter he's been to this point this year than he is like the hitter he was for the rest of his career prior to this. And that is for all the reasons that you mentioned, particularly that he doesn't hit the ball extraordinarily hard. He doesn't hit the ball all that high. He doesn't barrel the ball a ridiculous amount. There's nothing there that really makes you want to buy in. Now, it's entirely possible that Lane Thomas with and this is this is the same story that we discussed with Slater. If he's not the guy that he's been to this point this year, Bellinger, if he's not the kind of guy that he's been to this point this year, Lane Thomas as a what is that, seven sixty-four OPS guy, or I guess it's seven fifty-seven OPS guy over the rest of the season would be better than what the Yankees have gotten out of left field, but it's hard, I think, for him to break into the, like, gotta have it, especially because you're trading for a guy with two and a half seasons of control. That's going to drive up the price tag naturally a little bit. If they're valuing getting a guy who's controllable, I think it becomes especially important to get a guy who can play center field mm -hmm. and you effectively end the Harrison Bader conversation that will be happening this offseason at the trade deadline and you get someone like... Dylan Carlson, I it's well documented on Twitter. I don't get very excited about Dylan Carlson, but he's shown he can competently play center field. He plays it better than he plays the corners, actually. I wish he hit for some more power, but um, if you're going to start paying up just to get years of control for someone, I would like it to be a player who I perceive to have a higher ceiling than Thomas does. Yeah, and, and I think part of what's on my mind, too, is that not that this relates, but I, I do think I mean, it kind of does. I think the Nationals are valuing him pretty highly, and he's just not. You're not trading for the, you know, 750 OPS guy. You're probably trading no. for, in their mind, what he is right now. Especially since they just, you know, traded Soto for such a haul. I, I, mm -hmm. I have to believe that they see another outfielder that's controllable, and and at least will try to probably get more than they maybe realistically could because they were able to with Soto um I, I think you're kind of spot on in how I would value him um and and I agree um I don't know I have mixed feelings about Carlson I think I started off being pretty pessimistic because the numbers are just not good and they haven't been good for a year and a half but then again like he plays a good center field he has a good on base ability he's got years of control like maybe there's something there but on the other hand, I really don't think the Yankees should be trying to trade for people they can unlock, quote unquote, right now. I just don't know. Agreed. Yeah, I don't know if that's like where this team should be. That's more of like a 2015, 2016, we're kind of partially rebuilding. So we're going to take a chance on Didi Gregorius and Aaron Hicks. And that's fine if you want to do that. But in this case, I think it would 
you know, you need a marquee outfield acquisition or you need an impact bat. And Carlson might be fine in that other circumstance, but I think he would be put into, okay, here's our bat. Like, this is what we have now. And I just don't think that's yeah. what should happen. You, you shouldn't be trading for Harrison Bader when you have Harrison Bader. Exactly. I, so speaking of nationals, though, and we can kind of shift our attention to the infield. The other national who's... A, I'd like an infielder. He's a little more intriguing, partly because he's a rental, partly because his uh, quality of contact is better. The The underlying numbers look a little bit better. Um, and partly because Ryan Garcia is fully on team... Candelario, uh, from from what I've read on Twitter, it seems like Jamer uh, Candelario, Jamer, I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, it, I feel the, like I've heard both people have leaned in on Jamer, Jamer. recently, but okay, I, I frankly, it's a name that I've only ever seen once, <laughs> and it's on this guy. We'll go, we'll go with Jamer. I think if you're gonna trade for a national, and if you have a hole at third base, and that's a question that the Yankees have to answer. Do they actually have a hole at third yeah, base? Yeah, do they have a hole at third base? Because right. I think maybe if you're going to trust Peraza, but that's a big risk considering that he hasn't lit the world on fire. He hasn't gotten I don't, run. And I don't believe in Oswaldo, or on Oswald Peraza offensively. Like I, I have come to this conclusion, mm -hmm. and I'm sorry, but it's going to take a very serious change in who this guy is at the plate and how he puts bat to ball for me to believe in Peraza offensively. I think the other thing that we should start a discussion about third base with is it's only a 52 plate appearance sample, but since July 4th, DJ LeMay, he was a 124 WRC plus hitter who's walking 10% of the time and striking out 11 and a half percent of the time. It's a 325 BABIP, which is lower than his career number. It looks nothing like the way it has looked for him over the rest of the season, but the even like the ground balls versus other outcomes has started to look better. I it it may be time to start thinking, okay, if the Yankees only have limited resources to deal at the deadline, what what is enough out of DJ LeMayhew that you say, okay. You know, maybe maybe we don't need to prioritize that to the extent that we thought we did. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I, I do think they need another infielder, though. Like, even if it's just a depth piece, I just don't sure, know if sure. you're a yeah, Jerry Harrison, a type. Jerry Harris, maybe even Jerry Harrison himself. Perhaps. Maybe Jerry <laughs> Harrison himself. <laughs> Trade, trade deadline quick throwback. I just remember in 2009 when none of us were on Twitter. We were all kind of just like in our primitive stages of baseball watching, and I took my dad's phone on July 31st after the trade deadline, like the original smartphone to boot up MLB trade rumors and just be like, all right, let's see what the Yankees got. And it was Jerry Hairston. And I don't know. I was like, you know what? I like this guy. And he was pretty awesome. So yeah. So nobody made a podcast telling me who they should get. So you're all welcome. Um, but anyway. Yeah. You couldn't have had this before. The yeah. You're welcome, America. America. It's delicious. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, the question is, do you think DJ LeMahieu is capable of playing every day above average? And I think even if you do, you maybe try to shoot for an infielder. Um, Just looking at who you might get, I think Candelario is, you know, I guess this. I want this conversation to be more about who they can get, not if they need to get anyone, because I think we're probably sure, going to talk yeah. about every position. I think and I think we agree that they ought to add an infielder. Right. And Candelario is definitely one of the top options. Um, 
because, you know, the biggest hole probably is at third base, considering the other three positions are semi-entrenched, I guess, depending on what happens at first, which seems like Rizzo's bounce back. But I I don't think they're going to acquire a first baseman. I think it's much more likely they go out and get a third baseman. And Kendallari... I agree. And Jake Bauer should be the first baseman anyway. I I think he needs more playing time. I I think it's going to be really tough for me to believe the Yankees are going to bench Anthony Rizzo in any form. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but Jake Bauer should be the first baseman. Believe in Jake Barrels. Exactly. You can't fake barrels. Believe in Jake's barrels. But Candelario just uh, is he's he uh, and the opposite of uh, Lane Thomas is striking out less, walking more. He's having a resurgent season, 15 home runs, over 800 OPS, kind of like uncharted territory for him. I don't really think he's he doesn't have a history of success. And so I guess you're betting a little bit, especially because he was pretty miserable with Detroit last year, but I'm much more comfortable betting on a rental who's having a career year because I just think like you're going to ride it out for two months. And if you're not going to give up that much, it's not a huge deal. And I, I genuinely don't think you're going to have to give up that much for Jamer Candelario, like nothing, nothing against Jamer Candelario, but this is the kind of guy who really won't command much more than like a mid-level prospect. So I think this deal for me is less about the Yankees needing to upgrade third than if there's an opportunity to get a guy who you know is slugging 475, has you know 27 doubles, is going to provide power. Like I think all the enough is there for me. Enough, you know, good contact data is there for me to feel okay about it. I don't know if it's the right answer, but it's definitely an answer, and I wouldn't be upset if that's a direction they chose. Yeah, I don't mind Candelario. Fangraphs doesn't think that he really is more than like a 415, 420 slugging guy, and that is giving me some pause because I do think that these projection systems are generally onto something and zips likes him more it thinks he's in the 440 range so does the bat and i have to like the bat because the bat has historically liked gary sanchez but a lot of these think he's between like a 101 and 107 wrc plus bat over the rest of the season which is not as exciting to me as the guy that he's been so i think this is i i understand that we said that we shouldn't have the conversation about if they'll actually make a move but Fan graphs, if you believe their projections, so just indulge this for a second. DJ LeMahieu, rest of season projection. 263, 337, 391, 104 WRC+. Plus. Jamer Candelario, 248, 323, 434, 104 WRC+. Plus. Uh, DJ LeMahieu's rest of season projections by the rest of the projection systems listed on fan graphs between 100 and 107 WRC plus Jamer rest of season between the rest of the fan graphs projections 101 and 107 WRC plus. The one thing you can say is Candelario is a phenomenal defender at third base. He's like one of the best third base defenders in the game, but I'm, I'm starting to wonder how like again as i said how much more would you need to see from dj lemayhu to believe he's not going to suck for the rest of the year and do you think you can ride the hot hand with candelario you know longer than his peripherals suggest you will because if 
you buy into these rest of season projections, which maybe this year is a year that tells you why you shouldn't believe projections at all. And I'm fine with that perspective. But if you buy into the rest of season projections and you're thinking about what you could use the prospect or prospects that you would otherwise trade to get Candelario, what you could use them for if they're not in that deal, maybe that pushes you in a different direction. But I agree with you philosophically. This team is going to need an infielder. So maybe it's a moot point and you're getting someone and whether he plays and DJ doesn't or DJ plays and he doesn't, it doesn't matter and that's fine. And I like Candelario in this case. A guy that I like really believe in though is J.D. Davis. I think J.D. Davis is just good at baseball. He is not good at playing defense, but it's well documented that if you can hit, I don't really care about how well you play defense. And frankly, outs above average doesn't think he's all that bad this year, at least at third base. He's an average first baseman. If it's something the Yankees ask him to do, he can play the outfield in a pinch and He's like a 110 to 115 WRC plus bat in an adequate year, and we've seen him do better than that. The concern with him would be strikeouts, but he is a double-digit walks guy. Again, the Giants are just kind of full of these assets. This is another guy who would be cheap. He's making $4.2 million this year going into his final year of arbitration and controllable next year. I don't necessarily like him more than Candelario because I think Candelario is the more complete player even in the event of Davis continuing to be, or in the event that Davis is the better hitter that he's projected to be over the rest of the season. But I I like what I'm seeing out of him. Davis, Slater are two guys that maybe you could kind of like do something uh, not unlike the Tommy Canely as part of a deal that also included rentals if if you were to just really blow it up and get a, a big package with San Francisco. Yeah, your trade deadline strategy really relies on the Giants continuing to lose. And yet they lost today to the Tigers, so... That's what I'm saying. No, I, I agree. I And for your point about Candelario, I just have a hard time believing the Yankees would have to give up anything they'd really miss. For me, it, like... Reminds me of Ben. Which is Intendi. totally fair. That might be the case. Yeah, it reminds me of your favorite player, Ben Intendi. Um, oh my god. Where like they gave up three guys. Like that's fine. None of those guys are lighting the world on fire. I don't really think they will. That's kind of what you get for like rentals who are outperforming their expected stats, having a career year. Yeah. Rentals are just always going to be cheap unless it's like Shohei Otani. That's just I think how the trade not not cheap, but like it's not going to really break the bank in a way that yeah, if they're the guy. true the true classic rental is not a super expensive guy one thing i will say the dodgers aren't going to part with this guy and it would be part of a weird hybrid strategy for both teams if they did so but i cannot describe how much i would love the yankees to trade for max muncie just so people freak out about the fact that he's hitting 196 because he has a 118 WRC plus, which is better than like everyone on the Yankees except Aaron Judge. So if they need a third baseman, just go get Max Muncy because it would be hilarious. That is my final thought on the infielder the Yankees should have. Yeah, I, I mean, other than that, which probably won't happen, um, it'll happen right alongside the Joey Gallo return. Exactly. Um, I just Joey Gallo, Aroldis Chapman, Max Muncy. That's the trade deadline. I mean, I just don't. 
I don't know like what other infielders are out there. I mean, I think Candelario is like the big name just because the Nationals are clear sellers. And yep. I mean, I don't know, like who else, what other teams have infielders that would really be like of, of interest? I think the outfield market is much more plentiful in terms of potential options. It definitely is. And part of the problem is there's not an obvious fit when it comes to a guy who you trust to play third base. Um, I think there's always the, the Yankees did it last year where they trade for an injured guy. Brandon Drury could potentially be out there. We know the Yankees like him. He's capable of playing third base, so he hasn't done it this year. Brendan Donovan is a name that people are kicking around. He has played precious little third base at the major league level, but it's something he has done. And then you get into like, Nolan Arenado has a full no trade clause. I don't see the Yankees taking on another big contract for a guy who will be perceived as aging. I was on this last year and I'm on it again this year, even though his hitting prowess is not something we should buy into, at least the prowess that he's demonstrated this year. He's a lot more like the hitter he was last year. Hassan Kim can play anywhere in the infield. He's on a team that has a crowded infield and he can play shortstop if you need him to, if you, you know, want to make a move that doesn't involve, you know, want to make a, a a choice with the defensive alignment, not a, a transaction with Anthony Volpe or Oswald Peraza. But it really is, I mean, again, if you were to look at the Giants, you've got your J.D. Davis. I don't think Tyro Estrada is really on the table, but it is funny to talk about the Yankees getting Tyro Estrada just because... People are like furious that he's not on the team, which is some incredible like hindsight being 2020. You're right, though. The infield market is not deep. And maybe some of this is solved by getting an outfielder and then Jake Bowers isn't an outfielder anymore. And then you can be a little bit more creative about the way you manage certain lineup spots. But yeah, it. It gets tough to find a fit that makes sense at third base when you get past Candelario. Yeah, I, I think the most likely outcome is not the Yankees going all in on a bidding or for Candelario. And if that's what happens, then obviously it's probably best to use your resources elsewhere. But yeah, I, I, I think the outfield definitely takes priority over the infield. But catcher might take priority over all of them, which is very unexpected, but might have to be something we actually talk about. So, do you think they really would make a move? I don't... I think people are thinking they're going to make a move a lot more strongly than I think they're going to. I think there's a world in which I could see it, but honestly, like, they really like Kyle Higashioka, and maybe it's time to see what Rortvet can do. I don't feel uncomfortable with it, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I... Man... Like, the other thing is, like, who are you getting? And this is an even more pressing question at catcher because the catcher has to then learn. You have to be comfortable with him defensively, really, and offensively, um, or maybe more so defensively. Sure. So the, and, 
I just don't know. I don't know who there is. Um, and they're not going to get Salvador Perez. They're not. No, and they shouldn't. And they wouldn't because he's a generationally bad framer. And rightly or wrongly, that's what the Yankees care about. So one thing I said on Twitter is I would be fine with the Yankees if they were to pay up for catcher and they paid up for William Contreras, who I don't have any reason to believe the Brewers would part with him but if they paid up for a guy like that I'd be excited about it he's proven he's a good hitter at the major league level he cut way down on his strikeouts this year he walks about 10 percent of the time he gets on base well he probably isn't quite the slugger that he was last year when he hit 20 home runs in 97 games but a 114 WRC plus and very good defense from the catcher position which is what he's provided this year with a significant improvement in his defense is something that it's absolutely worth getting excited about. But that's a young player. He's go. He'll be in his age 26 season next year, but catchers tend to develop late. He doesn't become a free agent until after the 2027 season. So you'd, you'd really have to pay up for that. But I think there's a cogent argument to do so. Another guy who's in a similar spot, but might be perceived a little bit differently given that he's a year older and given that, um, the team has another good catcher on it, although maybe the other one is the guy they're, they're more likely to move. You could pay up for a Cal Raleigh, again, in that same situation. You could also not pay up for Tom Murphy, who is a rental. I don't, again, have any indication to believe the Mariners would be willing to move him. He hasn't played a ton this year. He hasn't been super healthy, but... He is an adequate defensive catcher who has produced offensively in the past couple years. I, If you're just looking for a rental to tide you over until you think Austin Wells is ready, that's an option. Another guy who you might have to pay up for, but again, maybe it would be worth it, is Jake Rogers. He's had kind of a, a turbulent first few years of his major league career. It's not obvious if the Tigers are going to invest in him moving forward or invest elsewhere. He strikes out a lot, and people aren't going to like that, but so does Kyle Higashioka. He's an above-average hitter. He's an extremely good defender. He's a, a valuable catcher in that respect, maybe too similar to Kyle Higashioka to be the move, but there really isn't a lot at the position. Obviously, the other rental that people think about is Yasmani Grandal, He's a better hitter than he's been to this point this year. He has not been the elite defender that he used to be. He has not even been a good defender this year. So I don't know if that's the kind of guy the Yankees would pursue. He is just kind of a, like a weird player, and he's 34 years old, and he's been woefully unproductive offensively over the, the sum total of the last two years. It's safe to say he's past his prime. I'm not sure what the White Sox would want for him or if the Yankees would pay up for him. I I just really have trouble, especially with all the catching in the system, seeing them go after one of the guys I'm actually excited about. So I think there's a good chance we just are stuck with Higashioka and Rortvet for the rest of the year. What about paying up for another guy from a West Coast team? Oh, well. I'm talking about Joey Bart. <laughs> Um, have you have you grappled with the implications of 
Joey Bart being named after the metro rail system in his city. I, if only he was better. Because I think only. Joey Bart implies the existence of a Nationals catcher named Joey Metro or a Red Sox catcher named Joey T or a Yankees catcher named Joey Subway or an uh, a Rangers catcher named Joey Dart, who is obviously Joey Bart's <laughs> evil twin in this world. I, I think it's important that that's something that we make people aware of. But the Yankees should get Gary Sanchez. I, I have not grappled with the implications of the Yankees getting Gary Sanchez. <laughs> and, like, it is funny because he kind of – he'd be good. The I mean, I know you always think Gary he'd be Sanchez good. And then ending up in a situation where it would be really nice to have Gary Sanchez is, like, the exact kind of middle finger that I want this front office to receive. Like, it's so funny because, like, he really would be kind of the perfect fit. Mm -hmm. I don't even care, and I'm sure you wouldn't even care if he, like, wasn't playing the majority of the time. Like, just for him to be on this team, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) if that happened, I think we'd probably devote, like, five episodes to it. And it would deserve it. It's in in a realm of possibility that is not, like, .0001% likely. Um, I don't know. I mean, you go through the list of names. Like, I go back to your Giants, Patrick Bailey. I don't think that would actually happen. Yeah, I don't think but, that's on the table. Right. If you want, if like that, that's the thing. Either these guys are too good to trade. Like, I really don't think William Contreras is going to get traded. I agree. Or you're just, you don't really want to trade for him. Like, you could take a chance, but I don't think catcher is where you take a midseason chance. I, it just seems rare to me. I, I don't know what the history of it is, but to risk uh midseason catching acquisition that you're not like a hundred percent sure about. Um and even the ones, I mean, like I remember when Jonathan Lucroy got traded and that really was a bust. It's like it's just hard for a catcher to transition mid season and I don't think the Yankees feel like it's necessary. Um maybe we'll see Austin Wells now that he's in triple A at some point this fall. That would be super fun. Yeah, with the exception of Gary Sanchez, my preferred route at catcher might just be Austin Wells. <laughs> my my least desirable catcher is trading for Reese McGuire from the Red Sox for obvious reasons. <laughs> like this list is so uninspiring. What happened to catching in baseball? Yeah, it, it's it, really bad. They, this is the state of catching in baseball is the greatest argument to switch to the automated strike zone so that framing stops being a thing that we need to worry about. Yeah, we're, I think we're definitely every not. Every year the state of catching makes that argument better and better. Yeah, we had the golden age of like Mauer, Posey, Molina. Like yeah. That's well gone. But anyway, um should we talk about pitching before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, I I almost think it's not important to talk about pitching when it comes to a Yankees trade deadline because let's be honest Brian Cashman is going to go get one or two relievers that we've never heard of they're going to be very good at least one of them will be phenomenal and maybe they'll trade for a depth starter you know your Jaime Garcia type I think the the situation in which the pitching portion of this deadline becomes really intriguing is if the Yankees say we're going to get something for Clark Schmidt whose value may never be higher and then 
whatever they get in that trade and opening up that roster spot allows them the flexibility to do something that's a little bit more exciting. But, I mean, do you feel differently about the way you expect the Yankees to handle pitching? Because I feel like that's kind of the the path that they've shown us they are going to tend to take. Yeah, I definitely agree in the um, in the bullpen. I, I could see them getting a starter, and I don't know... I don't know what quality that starter is. I think I wouldn't be upset with any outcome. I guess like if they felt they were okay with what they had, I'd be fine. If they felt that they wanted to trade for someone higher end, like I would be fine. If that's where they felt their resources were best used, I'd be fine. If it came at the cost of any hitter, I think that might be a mistake, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think that's actually going to be the case. I mean, even like the last two years, I mean, they traded for hitting and pitching mm-hmm. and, I would expect that to continue. I mean, I think if you put a gun to my head and said the Yankees are trading for two guys, who are they? It would be an outfielder and a starting pitcher. I I just think that there's a lot of opportunity with starting pitchers. Um, And maybe, maybe it's more likely they trade for a reliever, but I could see them trading for any pitcher before I see them forcing something at catcher or in the infield. Yeah. Um, I, it's never going to happen, but I just really want James Paxton back on this team. He's having such a good year. Like everything looks really good, both like underlying stats and watching him pitch. I mean, his velocity is just kind of back where it was. It's not going to happen, but that's kind of my personal. Because I I also think it could happen because I don't think the Red Sox really care that much about. I don't. Well, I don't think the Red Sox really care that much about this season. Like I think if the Yankees. I, I don't know if it will happen, but I, yeah, I desperately want it to because I think the odds of all of the starters staying healthy and being ready for the playoffs are less than needing a, a starter to fill a hole. It's, it's maybe a bad take, but I'm allowed to have you are. a bad take every once in a while. My dad, um, so hates, this is my bad take. Hates James Paxton. Um, Why? He just does. He decided. At, remember when James Paxton, the Yankees went like undefeated and James Paxton starts in the second half of 2019? Mm-hmm. My dad would insist that that didn't happen. Okay. Well, it. He was also great in the yeah. playoffs. Like he gave up. So I was at game one of the ALDS that year and he gave up a home run early to like Jorge Polanco or someone who's basically Jorge <laughs> Polanco. And I got a text from my dad about how James Paxton sucks, and then like the Twins didn't score again. The Yankees won like eight to two. Or I whatever. think James Paxton um, has a special place in my heart because the one time I've seen the Yankees win at Fenway, he shut them down or he shut the Red Sox down for seven innings. And I, you know, given my struggles, that means a little good. more to you me. You know, what? I'm I'm happy for you. Um, it's so, not gonna happen. Though. Whipple, it's it's not gonna happen, but it'd be it'd be kind of fun. Um, one thing that I want to talk about is we were asked. Basically, how should we be reading into the first portion of the Sean Casey tenure? And the caveat here is obviously that it's too small a sample, but there is not really an indication that Sean Casey has anything better going on. With the exception of the fact that the walk rate is up and the BABIP is up, and these are in in many cases, rank in the league is improving, not necessarily the overall number is improving. Like the WRC plus is better, but the number is lower. Um, so under Casey, they're striking out more than they were under Lawson. They're walking more. 
They are getting on base a little bit more. They're hitting for a little bit higher average. Both of those appear to be a lot. Excuse me. Both of those appear to be pretty tied into BABIP. And they're slugging less. They were 13th in the league in slugging under Lawson. They're 23rd under Casey. Again, the sample's too small. If you look at plate discipline, it's actually not probably what people would expect. They're making less contact under law or, or under Casey. They're making less contact in the zone. They're making less contact out of the zone. I would argue that making less contact out of the zone is actually a good thing. They're swinging a little bit less. They're swinging in the zone a lot less. They're swinging out of the zone a little bit more. So it's really a very weird group of results. I think it is partially impacted by the fact that the roster has been very fluid in the Casey era. So you get a lot of plate appearances for the Oswalds and, you know, that affects how it looks and Kyle Higashioka is playing more because Jose Trevino is hurt and you have all these disparate things that are affecting this in various ways, but it's certainly not like Sean Casey showed up and the approach changed completely. It's certainly not like Sean Casey showed up and fixed everything. I think if you were bullish about the chances that the Yankees offense would improve on the second to last day of the Dylan Lawson tenure, then you should be just as bullish today as you were then. If you were miserable when the Yankee, or if you were miserable and then you were encouraged by the Yankees firing Dylan Lawson and you think Sean Casey's going to have some major change, I would caution you against that. And then the final thing I would say is that you can't give Sean Casey credit for DJ LeMahieu or Giancarlo Stanton being on a hot streak or Gilbert Torres being on a hot streak because they already were. So look, I'm the guy who's on the record a million times saying I don't think coaching matters very much. So I won't go any further than that, but I I think there's very little to read into in the is Sean Casey more effective at this job than Dylan Lawson was discussion. Yeah, I think the impact that Sean Casey has is not going to be known to us and might not be for a while yeah. just because it probably comes through conversations and interactions that are just not going to be made public. And that's fine. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's totally fine. I think DJ LeMahieu's sure. hot streak should you know the credit for that should go to DJ LeMahieu and John Carlos I agree Sands hot streak credit for that should go to Sand and, and so on I mean it's I won't even add any more I think you, you've you've hit the points um whatever happens with this Yankees team um if it's good I'm sure Casey will be given more credit than he deserves and if it's bad then you know it probably doesn't have as much to do with him as people think like it's that's so it goes Jamer Candelario just hit a home run um <laughs> Yankee Yankee, Yankee. So Whipple, you heard the interview with my dad that got posted in its entirety the other day. It was the longest dad take or bad take to date. He had a great time with it. I know our listeners enjoyed it. And he made a public challenge to Doug Whipple. Doug Whipple has heard he is aware of the challenge. I don't know if you want to share with the listeners what it was. So... Basically, you know, my dad, you you described it interestingly. <laughs> Your dad is Harrison Bader. 
who I, th- I think you would do the analogy better, but the crux of it is that your dad is Harrison Bader and my dad is Glaber mm-hmm. Torres. And there's this polarizing air to Glaber Torres, and there's this universal love for Harrison Bader. And if Harrison Bader does something that would be very scrutinized if Glaber Torres did it, no one really bats an eye. Glaber Torres does that thing, there's this whole uproar. And I think that's what my dad was getting at when he said, or when he asked if Doug Whipple cares more about being liked or being real. And I think with his challenge to Doug Whipple to, you know, come on the podcast and be real, we've we've entered this waiting period. When will we be hearing from Doug Whipple and is he going to be the cool history teacher vibe that we know him to have? Or is he going to come on here and hit us with some takes? Well, Doug Whipple, and I'm going to save it because Doug Whipple will be on within a few weeks. I I, I won't share anymore, but he's, he's got some takes in the chamber. He's got Doug Whipple has potentially one of the hottest takes in the history of Yankees files. And if you've listened to the first two episodes, it's very much like good vibes, cool history teacher. We're having a good time talking about the Yankees. This third dad take or bad take that's coming up, and he knows this, is going to be a little bit different because he has a very hot take that I think 99.9% of baseball fans disagree with. And Doug Whipple, is he's mad as well. I, I've gotten some texts from him that um, lead me to believe he could have some interesting things to say on the next pod. So if that's, if that's a teaser, uh, I, I would tune back in in two weeks and hear... I think it's the hottest take in the history of Yankees files. I don't think you know it. Is that bold? It may be. It's it's most irrational. It's insane. It's an unhinged take. I texted Uh, him again about it last night and he doubled down or even tripled down. So he's not going to and it's going to be your responsibility to take him to task for it. You can't let him get away with this. So stay tuned for that in the coming weeks. But when my dad was on the podcast, he gave the lowest confidence rating in Yankees Files history, I believe, which was a four. And he had some wild takes. If you haven't listened to that episode, you should go back and listen to it. But after the Yankees got swept by the Angels, and we were at, what, six and a half last week? Yeah, I think I was at six. You were at six and a half. I thought, you know, how much lower could this go? But then we had a series where Glaber went yard a couple times, Stan went yard, LeMahieu went yard, Rizzo went yard, Jake Bowers came back, Aaron Judge took live BP, Nestor made a rehab start, Severino pitched well and got whiffs for the second start in a row, Garrett Cole was good, Clark Schmidt was good. Jonathan Lewisica threw. Jonathan Lewisica threw. Billy McKinney hit a home run. Greg Allen came back, which was great for the vibes. Like, I don't know if I can be negative. So I'm going to maintain six and a half. I need to see the trade deadline happen. You know, the the philosophy that I've adopted recently is I'm no longer going to do the like forward looking adjustment. So I know that things are on the horizon. But I'm going to allow those things to keep me where I am instead of pushing me up. So when Jake Bowers has the hot streak that I anticipate for Jake Bowers, 
that can push things up. When Aaron Judge is actually back, that can push things up. When the Yankees have a good trade deadline, that can push things up. I'm not going to put the cart in front of the horse, but this is one of the more positive 6.5s I could give out. Where are you? Yeah, I, it's interesting because I think if the Yankees had swept the Angels and got swept by the Royals, things would the vibes be, would be so it bad. would be really bad. And it's the same record. And we've had situations like this before. It honestly is kind of nice to have the reverse because I feel like we're usually playing cleanup on a, a bad series mm-hmm. when a good one came before. Um, I'm going to go up a little bit more. I'm going to go to a seven because I, I, okay. I do feel like. I'm a little annoyed at the people who are like, it's just the Royals because mm-hmm. the wins are in the bank and guys are doing well that need to do well. And you know what? Like my confidence is judging what I think those guys can do going forward. And I have thought those guys can do much better than they are. And the proof is there. It's not a huge sample size. And I think if it was a huge sample size, I'd be up even more. Like my yep. confidence yeah. really hinges on those key guys in the rotation and in the lineup and right now the Yankees are very close to getting Judge back and I don't know what kind of impact he's going to have but I think with or without Judge the lineup has shown signs of life and I feel like seven in the grand scheme of what our ratings have been hasn't even been that good so I'm gonna that's true yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna go up to a seven and I think there's definitely room for improvement but Right now, I'm just feeling a lot better because I feel like we're like giving CPR to the the patient, and like finally he like showed signs of life. Like, all right, I'm a little relieved. We saw it happen. Let's move forward from here and build on it. I had a professor in college who was a communist, but that's not relevant to this discussion. But it is true. Who, um, he would grade our essays out of ten, but you couldn't get lower than a six. Or no, you couldn't get lower than a five because one of my friends got a five and then asked me and another one of our friends, hey, what is it scored out of? Which gave away that he got a five because he <laughs> thought it was out of five, not out of ten. <laughs> but I I had a professor who graded essays out of ten, but you couldn't get lower than a five, which is a little bit how the Yankees Files confidence rating works. But I think it's just because like they have a naturally high floor as a team. Like One has to mean something and... Given that the Oakland A's and Kansas City Royals exist, not that I would ever expect the Yankees to operate that way, but like they did suck under George Steinbrenner, as my dad and I relitigated. Anyway, that's a little bit how the Yankees files confidence system works. I every day that I had that class would go in and ask that professor like a ridiculous question. And I asked him who his favorite baseball player that knew how to speak Italian was because there were signs all over one of the academic buildings for the Italian club or maybe just like the Italian. It was the Italian language department that said, Mike Piazza speaks Italian. Shouldn't you? Um, So I was hoping he would say Mike Piazza, but then he didn't. He said like, I don't know, like Vince DiMaggio or something. (laughs) And it was like, okay, dude, I see you. Um, Anyway, shout out uh, David Ruccio. Uh, quick question in Bizarro Yankees Files world when they got swept by the Royals, what is your confidence rating? Like, would you? Whoa. Because I, I, how low can you go? Like, let's just think I about think, it for a second. Where would you I end up? I think what would have happened is they'd gotten swept by the Royals. They would have been 500. I would have lost any optimism that they would buy at the deadline 
I would be concerned about them winning fewer games than they won in 2013 or 2014 or 2016. And yeah, I think at that point, and this is assuming that the things you said about how it would have looked if they had lost to the Royals are correct. So everyone's bad. Like maybe Bowers doesn't come back. The judge news isn't good. Like, I'm assuming everything is going wrong. Mm -hmm. I think that's the only situation where I could see myself going below five. But yeah, four and a half is the number that I, I feel like is sounding correct to me. Right. And I feel like ones and twos are like the Yankees are on pace to lose 100 games. And, yeah, you I know. agree. So I, I think it's a fair floor to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Whipple, any parting shots from you before we wrap this up? Yeah, shout out to Baltimore because we're going to have uh, a Yankees Files meetup on the Saturday game. Yankees yep. Orioles should be a good time. Going to see a lot of people from our high school who may or may not listen to this. Um, and I, you may or may not be excited to see them. But Garrett Cole <laughs> is lined up to pitch again. And here I am. So I'm, I'm staying true to the bit. And... I'm going to have a good time going to Camden because it's a fun environment. But I'm really excited to see Yankees Orioles at Camden when the Orioles are good because that's an atmosphere I have not seen. And it should be really fun. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great time. I'm going to I'm going on Friday night as well. So I'll have to go wash the Jabba Rule shirt on Saturday morning and then get ready to meet up with you and the boys and hopefully a number of our Twitter followers and listeners at Camden Yards on Saturday evening for the second game of that series and hopefully see the Yankees clinch a series win. All right, Whipple, this has been great as always. People can keep up with us at yankeesfiles.com. We are at Yankees Files on Twitter. We are at Yankees Files Podcast on TikTok. Podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. We hope you will rate, review, and subscribe if you like the podcast. If you don't like the podcast, we hope you will just subscribe, download it, listen to it on repeat, whatever. It all helps us. We will see you same time, same place next week. We will recap the series with the Mets and Orioles. We will recap the trade deadline. Keep an eye out for a Twitter space. And until then, let's go Yankees. Yankees.